It, it began last week when I was, or through two or three weeks ago, and I was preparing for our All Together service, and I was looking at the parable of the four different soils, and uh, it talks about is of different ways of receiving the word of God. And I'm going to pop the video up for that tomorrow so you can see about that. But it made me think about, well, what is, how would you summarize the word of God? The word of God, we sometimes think of as the Bible, but in actual fact, in the Bible, it's actually the message normally of Jesus. It is who Jesus is. He is the word. How would you summarize it? And I was thinking that in one sense you can say, well, it is timeless, it is never changing. So in one sense you can say, what would Jesus say today is what he would say yesterday, today, and forever. I understand all of that. But actually, as you look at the the message of God, you see different parts that you think, well, that is really relevant. And sometimes it's relevant not because it wasn't relevant in the last generation, but because we just need to use the words that this generation is using. And then, it, then we get it. So I thought, I, 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 so, so I came up with, and I wanted to do something that would be memorable. And I took hours, because I wanted to have them all begin with the same letter, couldn't do it. I wanted to spell out something, couldn't do it. Uh, in the end, because I wanted to stick with what I felt the message was, rather than fiddle it. You know when you, you have these things and they all begin with the same letter and you think the fourth one, I just don't get why you said that. <laughs> and it's just, it's irritating, isn't it? So this is how it came to me, which was really what I've called uh, three loves, three prayers, and one B. And, and this is what, what came to me. And fundamentally, what does God ask of us? What is the message of God? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I don't think that changes from generation to generation. But how you understand that and explain that to every generation and how we apply that uh, to our world and our issues perhaps just needs to be earthed a little bit. And there are three ways, I think, that I want to particularly highlight of what it looks like to love God. And the first is what I would want to call gratitude. Uh, So three loves, three prayers, and the first love is what I would want to call is gratitude. Older generations called it worship. But that's a word that not many of our culture fully understand. They just think that's singing. But what I mean is I think God would say to us, I want you to stop moaning, complaining, and blaming And seeing all the problems, I want you to see the good that I've done and I'm doing. And to look to God as the provider of good things. So I think gratitude is really important to us. Worship, thanksgiving, whatever words you want to use, whatever comfortable, I think God is saying, if you want to love me, come and praise me. Come and see the good. And I think that's incredibly important for our mental health. We know all of that. The second love is perhaps one that, I think is really, really important, and I want to expand it in a moment if you ask me the right question, uh, which is, it is to love others. You cannot love God and hate someone else. I put all of these on a card with, um, that you, you can have a, 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 and take away if you want, but you cannot love God and, love, and, and be angry with somebody else or in a break of relationship with another believer. And the third thing is perhaps something that we've just rediscovered in the last generation. We should have had it much earlier. The first way that Adam and Eve were told to love God was to care over what he'd given them. And if you love someone, you look after their presence to you. 
And so I think that's a really important thing for us to do, is to look after his creation. And that led me to three prayers. And the first prayer is sorry. And I think that we, that God is asking of us, just own up, just admit it. We might well, you want to use a language of repentance, we might use, want to use a language of confession, uh, but our generation, like every generation, is a proud and arrogant and critical and blaming generation. And whenever we blame everybody else, nothing ever changes. And we actually have to own our part and come to God and say sorry. So that's my first prayer. My second prayer is to say God's will be done. And to acknowledge that what is happening in the world isn't what God wants. And there is stuff that is wrong. And that we want to bring his kingdom in. And there is a battle and a conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And we want to be part of bringing the kingdom of God in. So the, the second prayer is, Lord, your will be done. And to pray that regularly. And that leads us on to the third prayer, which is say, Lord, will you use me? Will you help me be part of it? I want to stop. Instead of saying, oh, my faith is about what God does for me. I would think it's about what can I do for you and I want to be part of bringing the kingdom in. I want to be filled with your spirit. And so the outcome is simply uh, to be a model and inspire others to, make, to be disciples. In other words, we live such a life that people go, oh, that's what it is to know God. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. I, I think I want to do that. So I think, for the right now, for the moment, and maybe you could come up with other things and you would, and it's not definitive and it's not authoritative and it's not infallible. It's just something that came to me over the last week that I wanted to say, I think this is important that we live these things out and we try and be a model. Uh, so that's, that's kind of what it wants. And I wanted to dig, dig down a bit into love, but I'm going to wait for you to ask me that. <laughs> Great. So there's, there's absolutely loads in that already. And um, if you've got any questions, obviously, feel free to, to, to message them in as well. Um, so the, the question that's written down here, which I think is probably the next one to ask, is how is this different from... So we have the Bible, we have the Gospels, we have Jesus' words there. How, how is this, for today, then different from, from the Gospel? It isn't. It, I mean, the, the, so... so Sometimes I think the word gospel is slightly unhelpful because uh, it's an old-fashioned translation of the phrase good news. Mm. And the good news is more than one thing. And uh, at the baptism this morning, and I will talk about it, and I think I've got a card... Yep, there's a card in. I think of the good news as fivefold. It is a forgiven past. It is a present value. It is a, a present purpose. It is a present help. And it is a future hope. The good news is a big thing. Uh, this is what he, once we've received the good news, I think this is what God asks of us. Mm -hmm. This is what I want you to do. Fundamentally, Jesus did, came and said, follow me. Yeah. He came and said, love the Lord your God. So the good news is, in one sense, there is a covenant, there is a partnership. The good news, this is what God does for us, but it's, this is what we do for him. And we respond in love. And those, they, you can't separate them. You can't say, I'm going to have all the things that God gives me, but I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to mm -hmm. copy him. I'm not going to live the life he wants me to live. Mm -hmm. Because there isn't, that isn't good news. Mm -hmm. 
So they're intertwined and interlinked. And Great. So popping my, I suppose, hat on of somebody that perhaps isn't necessarily involved in church, wouldn't be used to kind of what Jesus says and, and some of Jesus' teachings and those types of things. The question that would come to me, particularly with working with young people, some young people that are families, part of uh, families from the church, some that aren't, is that there seems to be this kind of idea around that, well, some of the Bible's teaching is, is relevant and true and good, and if I live like that, that's great. Some of it today isn't relevant anymore. Some of it is, you know, for back, you know, back then, 2,000 years ago, it was relevant. Now it isn't. So, I mean, what would you say to somebody who would say, well, is all of Jesus' teaching still relevant today? Absolutely. I would say, you see, fundamentally, Jesus' teaching, in fact, fundamentally, the Bible can be summed mm. up by love. You are, we are to love and we are to say sorry for the fact that we don't love. And there are lots of ways in which we apply and explain what that looks like. Some of those things we need to understand are a little bit more complicated from the Bible. We might need to understand the culture and what was going on and how that expressed love. Some of it's dead straightforward. But fundamentally, human beings need... We need to love. That's what the world needs. And that hasn't changed. And there's nothing in the Bible that is out of date, there might be things that we don't fully understand or a little bit of explanation as to how they are relevant. Mm. Um, but I think fundamentally, the, the human nature is the same and the purpose is the same and the need is the same. We might think, oh, we can get away with doing A, B and C because we can't see how it is unloving, but that's our problem. Mm. But actually, everything what God says, can you do this, is all rooted in love. And if we don't understand how it is loving, then we need to be helped and just to understand how it's loving. But there is nothing in there other than that. That's what it's about. That's how we live a life of love. That's the command. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. Mm-hmm. So there are, it, it, yeah, I agree, it can be summed up as love. There are, um, what's the best way to put this, boundaries in scripture as well in terms of in Jesus teaching for example don't do this don't do that how do those things come into play in that what's the purpose of do you understand what I'm asking what's the yeah I'm told not things? to hit you yeah it's, it's not very loving mm. yeah. I, I don't think that's very restrictive I think that's quite liberating mm. it's liberating for you that I'm not allowed to pump punch you Mm, Uh, it's actually liberating for you it's not restrictive at all it's not uh, I'm also not allowed to uh, bear false witness I'm not allowed to Mm. tell stories about you that aren't true now you may feel that's restrictive because you want to say whatever you like about me on Twitter Mm. and actually there's a command that says you can't do that now that's liberating for me Mm. because my reputation is safer Mm. if people kept it so all we, if you go through life saying, God, why are you stopping me hurting people? Mm. Then, yeah, it's restrictive. Mm. But if you're saying, God, how do you show me how not to hurt people? Or myself. Because some of the things we say, I'm not hurting anybody and we're consenting. Well, that's okay, but we are precious in God's sight. Mm. And when we do things that damage ourselves, even though we consent to doing it, he grieves because we're significant and we're special and we're loved. 
So I don't think the restrictiveness, I don't buy into that at all. Mm. I, will, I would like you to be restricted in the way you can damage me. Mm. Would you mind? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think there's a view in society amongst people who don't follow Jesus, people who aren't involved in church, that some of scriptures restrictions, I keep using the word restrictions, it doesn't sound like the, mm. the nicest word to use, but they feel would stop them from being able to love people properly. Do you think there's a view of that? Uh, well, I think the church at the, uh, I think the church got itself in a real mess because mm. we're not preaching love, we're preaching condemnation as mm. a global institution. Uh, can I talk about love? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just, because I wanted to try and define what it looks like. Mm. And, and, and it seemed to me that, that Jesus and well, the Bible says love one another. Mm. It's the command. It is the command. But it's then spelled out in a way that is brilliant or uncomfortable depending on how you look at it. And I would spell it out in this way. There are five groups of people that we are told to love. Five groups of people. Uh, and the first one is fairly straightforward. Well, there we go. The first one is our neighbor. We are commanded to love our neighbor. We're to love them as ourselves. So we love the people around us as we would like to be loved. Now, that's fairly straightforward, except that we don't always think about how we, we don't always treat people how we want to be treated. And I'm just going to pick out two things for this generation. I actually want to be encouraged. I don't want to be criticized and made to feel useless and made to feel rebuked. I actually want to be built up. And therefore that, if you're going to love me as you would love yourself, let's encourage one another. And then we're just talking about this idea of speaking the truth. We are to speak truthfully and kindly of people and to people. The language we use about people, the language we use to people is to be good. It is to be kind. That's how you treat someone as you want to be treated. You don't want to be slandered. You don't want to be gossiped about. You don't want to be lied about. You don't want to be caricatured. You don't want to be judged and condemned and boxed. You want to be built up and valued and encouraged. So that easy, that's the easy one, but then it's a lot more harder because then um, Jesus says that we are to love our enemies. And I've popped some scriptures there that you, you would know all of this stuff. But we as a church need to learn how to love the people we don't agree with. It's a command. So what does it look like to love the people who we don't like or who don't agree with us, or who make life difficult for us, or who are against us, or who persecute us. It's a fundamental command and part of loving is to love our enemies. That means we let go, we forgive. We do not hold on to bitterness and grudges. We do not want to get our own back. We do not fight with the weapons that have been fought against us. We do not use the language that people use about us. We let it go. We turn the other cheek. It also means that we bless. We seek to do. It's an action, not a feeling. You can't feel good about the people that you don't like. That's impossible. But you can choose to do the good for them. You can choose to bless. You can choose to act in their best interests for their best. This is the radical stuff of Jesus. Because this would it transform our community. 
And when you love your enemy, we also, uh, it means that we try to make peace. We try to bring people with different points of view together rather than divide and separate. We're not trying to grab a one side winning over the other, but to try and bring consensus and understanding and bringing peace, the unity that God longs for within the diversity of people being different. So we're told to love our neighbor. We're told to love our enemies. We are thirdly told to love the stranger. And I think scripture is absolutely clear. Throughout the Old Testament, the way the people of God were to treat the foreigner, what's called the alien, the person that was different, the person that was in it from a different culture and a different background and a different religion always. And we have lost that in our country or in danger of losing it. What does it mean? It means to welcome. It means to include. And it means not to judge and to label someone as different, other, and not part of us, and exclude. And I really believe that a lot of the feelings that the world has about the Christianity is about the fact that we've not lived this stuff. And the fourth person that we are to love is clear from the way Jesus speaks, and throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, is to love the poor and to be good news to the poor, to be compassionate and generous and uh, let me just get the next scripture and to seek justice for them. We cannot say we love God and not love the poor. We cannot say we love God and not love the stranger. We cannot say we love God and not love our enemies. And lastly, we cannot say we love God and not seek to befriend and love the sinner. And this is what Jesus is, a, how he so upset the religious. Because, and they called him, you are a friend of sinners. But he says, look, the people who are sick need a doctor. He doesn't say to Zacchaeus up a tree, uh, well, when you've sorted your life out, Zacchaeus, I will come and eat with you. He says, I'm going to eat with you. And then Zacchaeus, he eats with Zacchaeus. And then Zacchaeus sort of comes out and says, I've got things wrong. There is a danger that religious people have lost the plot about the mercy and forgiveness of God. And we expect people to be good before we will accept them. And actually, we're sinners. And... I can't have some stones in my office and I feel like sometimes saying, look, if anyone wants to throw a stone, here it is. So we are to love the sinners. We are to befriend those who are not living as God wants them to. We're to be a friend. Why? Because we need to bring transformation and we, we need to bring change. And we do not bring change through condemnation and lack of mercy. You do not change a person by criticism and condemnation. Otherwise, Jesus would have come into the world to condemn the world. He says, I didn't come into the world to condemn, but to save. 
And so we need to be people who show mercy, not condemnation. And again and again, you will see. And in this verse I've put up there, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not religious activity and worship and songs. And I desire mercy. So that's to me what love means. Again, I've popped that on a card. Um, but that is important to me. And lastly, that we pray for people. So I would think Jesus would say to us, I want you to love. If you, if you can speak with it. How many times have I quoted this in the last three years? If you can speak with the tongues of angels, but have not love. If you can have faith that moves mountains, but have not love. You are not any good. We have to get this stuff right. This is the fundamental. And somehow or other, religion, Christianity have lost the fundamental. And we go on and on about being right. And it's pointless being right if we don't love. It is a clanging gong and a, yeah, that's my strong feeling about the moment. So I think the world says it's restrictive. They're not saying, the, they're not understanding the message mm. of Jesus. They're saying the way Christians are behaving is restrictive. Yeah, absolutely. If we kind of circle back to something you said at the beginning. People about, can text in questions. Yeah, there's quite a few questions. I bet there is. And I'm going <laughs> to get to them in a sec. Um, so thinking of somebody who's saying, okay, well, I get this. I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm probably struggling to love people the way I should. You talked about gratitude, you talked about worship. And perhaps there is a bit of a misunderstanding of worship. I don't think just in the world, but I think sometimes there's a bit of a misunderstanding of worship in church, mm. that actually it's just about singing songs, mm. that it's just about, you know, all of that type of stuff. And it, it isn't, is it? So what, what do you say to somebody who says, well, okay, if worship uh, sort of, I guess, re-centralises me, gets me back on track with God, I meet with him, I, uh, you know, chat with him in that time and stuff's worked out. What do you say to somebody who says, well, I don't enjoy singing in church, I don't enjoy that, that aspect, it's not me really that. And I guess kind of thinking of like Paul in Romans 12 where he talks about living our lives as a sacrificial worship mm. to God. Mm. How does that look practically? Well, I think we need to sometimes separate the difference between not liking singing and not liking the music. Mm. And we've all got, God has made us with different tastes for music. We have different styles of, of worship in our church and there are different styles of worship in other churches. So lots of us singing in different ways. But I think coming to God and saying, I'm going to look to you, not my problems. I'm going to look to who you are mm. and to what you've done. And I'm going to honour that. I'm going to be grateful for that. I'm going to acknowledge that. Whether you do that on your own, in the shower, walking, uh, I think it's a really important part of our daily life. But I think there is something spiritually uh, powerful about gathering with others and let them sing over us. Mm. And the words like you, you led us earlier, those words are significant words. And you don't, we don't have to be able to sing them. I can't mm. sing very well. We don't have to be able to sing them, but just to have prayer and, and people around with faith. Um, so I would say to people who say, well, I don't need to go to church or I don't need to be in that place, I would say that uh, we're missing something spiritually powerful mm. about being in a place of thanksgiving. And I think that 
I would say that I believe God created music and it's a beautiful thing. Mm. And uh, it, 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 if anyone would say to me, I can't stand music, I would think a little part has died and I would try and reawaken that. <laughs> and I will give you music to like. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy singing, obviously I play and enjoy doing that. But I think just listening to you speak then, just reflecting over my... Sort of faith journey. I think some of the probably the top most significant moments in worship where I felt like I've met with God and really some change has happened have probably been when I wasn't singing, when I was actually silent and reflecting and just listening. Yeah. And I think actually that I've never really thought about that before, but actually sometimes just to sit and listen is exactly what we need, isn't it? And then on on gratitude because I I feel like I'm quite a, sort of a, I tend to lean towards sort of pessimism, negativity, gratitude doesn't come naturally to me. I often spot the problems in life, not the pluses. <laughs> so how would you grow, I suppose, an attitude of gratitude? That rhymes. Well, I, I think I'm, in, I'm like you, so I'm not the finished article by any means, and uh, you, you know what I'm like on a Monday morning. Um, <laughs> I think we grow it intentionally. Happy hand. <laughs> so I have my happy hand, H-A-P-P-Y. It's a silly little thing, but just a discipline of saying, what hasn't happened that I thought would? Mm. Activities that I enjoy, people that I'm grateful for, places that I'm grateful, something about myself. But also, it's looking, it's just letting scripture focus and, and the Psalms, and God is good, or his love is unfailing, or he is a rock, or an anchor. Mm. And just giving thanks for those things. One of my favorite verses in 2 Corinthians, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Mm. And part of gratitude is to go, I'm not going to look at what I see, I'm going to look at what is unseen. For what is seen is, is temporary and fading, what is unseen is eternal. So we fix our eyes. So I would say there's a bit of the discipline of what am I grateful for. I remember Paul talking about his blessings every day that he mm. counts. But it's also about letting scripture speak into us and the goodness of God, the nature of God, the work of Jesus on the cross, and mm. just reminding ourselves of that. And those five things, that, that, that there, is a, there is forgiveness, there is, in fact, there is value, there is a purpose, there is help, and there is a hope. And if nothing else, if you can't do anything else, we can give thanks that when this life, if it's miserable, when this miserable life is over, there is something far, far greater. And he'll wipe every tear away. So I would hold on to that stuff. But it is a discipline. It's, you choose to do it. When, 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 God, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, he isn't say, cross your fingers and hope for feeling. Mm. He's saying, do something. Yeah. So then, again, you talked about saying sorry and that being a significant step in, in that kind of journey. So I suppose what's the significance of that? It's kind of like a two-fold question. And then we'll probably ask one more and then we'll go to some of the ones on the phone, if that's all right. What is the significance then, particularly, of, of saying sorry? But also, I guess, how do you know when you are sorry? Because I think sometimes we can say sorry knowing full well that we probably are going to do what we're saying sorry for again. And, you know, we probably are going to yell at that person again. Or do you, do you know what I mean? Like, 
And how do we know when we've, I guess, properly repented and not just said sorry? I don't know where that's a, it's huge not an subject. easy question. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 think, I, think, I think there are two significances. The first significant is we want to, we're looking forward to a place in heaven where there is no more sin. And God cannot let anybody into that place who hasn't admitted their sin and want to be free of it. Mm. That's the bottom line. Mm. Unless we say, I, I do stuff wrong and I don't want to do this, we're not getting into heaven. We might call that repentance. Mm. But he's not going to say, you know, in heaven my prayer to be free of my selfishness is answered. And that's what sorry is. It's saying, Lord, I, I don't want to be like this. And part of the I don't want to be like this is I know that I'm going to, want, I'm going to be like this again. Mm. I don't want to be bad-tempered on a Monday morning with the staff, but I'm going to be bad-tempered again on a Monday morning in the staff mm. sooner or later. Mm. Hopefully not tomorrow. <laughs> but I, I don't want to be that. I yearn to be free of it. Paul talks about the good that we do. So part of the deal, the more we worry that we're not truly sorry enough, the, the probably the right kind of sorrow we've got. Place, That's yeah. the right attitude. Yeah. We'll never be uh, completely satisfied with who we are. And it's that yearning that, that fits us for heaven, that Jesus dies on the cross for the people who go, take my sin. Mm. If I don't have any sin... Because everything is everybody else's fault and I'm actually a brilliant human being. Mm. He can't take my sin and I can't go to heaven. That's the bottom line. Mm. So it's really important to say sorry. But the second thing is, it's really important to say sorry because we're a complete pain in the butt to everybody else if we don't. Mm. Because we never change. Mm. And unless we develop a sense of awareness of what we're doing wrong, we're very difficult to live with. So even if it's not about our eternal consequence, I would say it's about our lifestyle now. Yeah. And an attitude of humility and of grace and of saying, I'm sorry, I probably got this wrong. And, and I am, the longer I've been a Christian, the far more aware of, of my sin. I feel I am 10 times more sinful than I was 10 years ago. I don't think I am objectively, but I'm just more aware of more it. More aware of it, yeah. So that the, the, the more we go on, the more we go, there's this in my life and this in my life and this attitude and this reaction and these words. and mm. It's crucial. Yeah. I often find as well for myself, when I'm, when I'm actually serious about stopping like a habit or something that's going on that I know is not okay, that I actually, if I come to God, ask for his forgiveness, I'm often then trying to think of proactive, practical things to actually stop myself from doing that, do you know what I mean, rather than just having said sorry and just then carrying on with life, mm -hmm. that there's actually a proactive, practical aspect mm -hmm. to it, that you can actually put things in place, yeah. talk to people about it, yeah. um, if there is stuff that we're struggling with particularly. Cool. Is there anything else that you particularly wanted to touch on before we go to some other no, questions? Take the questions. Is that all right? Because there is a lot of questions, and I think it would be good to uh, to go through them. We might have to get some snappy answers to some of these, if that's all right. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who's battling honouring your parents? I imagine that's their parents and not your parents, but they are toxic towards you. That's a brilliant question. Uh... I think I would put them, I would transfer it into that concept of enemies. So that sometimes there are parents that behave in such a way that it's not right for us to obey them. Mm. 
but it is right for us to treat them perhaps, I'm, just, I'm not saying they're enemies, but to treat them as enemies. What, what do we do with our enemies? We try to bless, we try to do what's best for them. Mm. We pray for them and we try to let go of holding on to the stuff. Mm. But we may not trust, we don't trust an enemy. Mm. So there can be a point where we go, my, I can't trust my parents. And that's painful. It's tough, isn't it? So that may be a place where we go, there have to be some ways in which I, I protect myself from an ongoing abusive or damaging relationship. Mm. I think it's really helpful to talk with somebody else to get a wider perspective. Because when I was 15, I was convinced my parents were bad. When I was 22, I was amazed at how good they'd become. That's mm. a Mark Twain quote, <laughs> more or less. They hadn't changed, I changed. Mm. So, and I now, my mum is in her 90s, I now think what a wonderful lady she was and I didn't get it at all. Mm. So sometimes we need a little bit of help with perspective. It may not be that they're that bad, <laughs> but it could well, but, but, but I, you know, I've, there are enough experiences and I know folks in the church who do have toxic parents and it's immensely painful. So I would say just shift the mindset we honour by, by trying to do what we're meant to do with enemies. So we don't let them hurt us, we don't let them damage us, mm-hmm. but we do try to bless and pray and try and let go of the pain. Yeah. And it, sometimes it's, it's very hard to let go of pain if it's being repeated, mm-hmm. very hard. So be gentle with yourself. You can forgive something that's finished much easier than you can forgive something that's going to be repeated. Mm-hmm. So be gentle with yourself if you find it hard to forgive an ongoing behaviour. Mm. Great. Um, I think probably know the answer to this because it's probably a lot of what we've kind of looked at, but what would God say to corrupt and morally depraved politicians? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think he would say you need to turn around because... If you meet me on the day of judgment not having sorted this out, you're in mm. trouble. Mm. Yeah. Okay, this is an interesting one. Not really thought about this, but um, do you think Jesus would use the same teachings today about being a light in the darkness, knowing what we do know now about black holes where light cannot escape, the gravity of them, <laughs> and the darkness overpowers the light? My knowledge on black holes is very limited. <laughs> so, I mean, I've learned a lot by that message. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's about our everyday experience in our gardens, in our houses, when we turn the light off, how we feel walking the streets when we can't see where mm. we're going, and how we feel in the daytime as opposed to the nighttime. Mm. I don't think it's about stars yeah. I think it's about our everyday mm. experience yeah. of the difference between difference between you know a beautiful summer's day and a miserable winter's mm. evening yeah, yeah. so I would suspect that the, the, the metaphor would still be used right um, how can you change your mindset um, and shift it to how you can serve God and do these kind of things and live in, be, in obedience linking to what you're talking about at the beginning instead of saying, how can God serve me? How do you kind of make that yeah, I, change? I think it comes 
twofold, probably more than twofold. I think it comes in that place of gratitude, mm-hmm. of, of being grateful and recognizing what has God done for us. And there comes a point where you go, what can I do for you? But I think secondly, it comes from that concept of purpose, that we were made to live for God. Mm. We are made. Uh, there's a verse that I've used with this, that we are made to do to, to good works created in advance mm. for us, as Ephesians 2. We're made to do this stuff. So actually, it's about letting go of the futility of living for ourselves, which is actually miserable. Mm. And when you take the step outside of and saying, actually, I don't need to do everything for myself. I could start doing things for other people and mm. for God. I don't know anybody who hasn't said that's a better way of living. Yeah. It's still tough, still difficult, but since life is tough and difficult, I'd rather do have a difficult life for something that's meaningful yeah. than something that's pointless. And uh, there's a great quote which I quoted recently that, that said that failure is succeeding at something that doesn't matter. And I want to do something that matters. And what I mean by something that matters is twofold. That when I leave here, people say, he did good Mm. and he showed me God. But more importantly, what matters is that when we get to heaven and meet people who go, you helped me get here. Mm. That's what really matters. And how do we help people get there? It goes back to this live the life we be. We live a life. Yeah. Great. Right, we'll try and rush through. We're going to try and get through as many of these as possible, but there's even more coming in now as you're, uh, as you're going through some of these. So we'll try and get through as many as we can um, before we run out of time. What would Jesus say about loving God and others in a time of sexual expression where so many of the traditional boundaries around sex, marriage and even gender have been broken down or are beginning to be broken down? It's a huge question that I can't do in total adequacy today, but what I think he would say is that promiscuity, unfaithfulness, the idolization and the idolatry of sex damages, demeans and dehumanizes people. Mm. And we hurt each other Mm. when we do that. And multiple sexual experiences and partners of whatever gender is deeply, deeply damaging. I think we need to recognize that there are Christians who disagree about what a faithful relationship looks like Mm. and I think that he would want those who disagree with each other to love each other Mm. and to listen to each other and not to divide churches over it but to work together to do everything we can to maintain unity Mm. because fundamentally the big problem the big issues are around promiscuity and about the making sex uh, a dehumanizing thing that we think is going to make us the happiest people in the world. And mm. all that has done is damage human beings. Mm. So I think we need to focus on care. Well, going back to my last thing it is to love sinners, mm. is, to be, is to befriend those who have a different sexual uh, uh, code to us. Mm. Not to throw stones. Mm. I mean, that's, you know, the stones come from that experience. They brought Jesus, somebody who had a different sexual experience. Mm. So I think what he would say is we need to be released from the worship of sex. And we need to work hard at listening mm. and loving 
and recognizing that people who have chosen different lifestyles to us or have different opinions to us need Jesus as much as us. Mm. And we're all sinners. Mm. And there's stuff in my life that I wouldn't want you to throw me out of the church over. Mm. All right, thank you. Uh, okay, we'll try and get through a couple more. I'm sorry, because we won't get through all of them. Can God's love exist in a war zone? I love your enemies. It's a huge issue that, you know, I've never been in the armed forces and I've never had to fight. Mm. I think we pray your will be done. Mm. It is not God's will that is happening. So how does God's will come out of that? You're trying to balance two things. We have to resist evil. We have to protect the vulnerable. Um, I don't know how, if I was asked to fight, I don't know how I would do that or what I would do. I think that I understand why people would choose to defend their nation, but we can't do it in a way that escalates violence. Mm. We cannot just a tit for tat and it just gets bigger and bigger. There has to be some way of trying to make peace. There has to be some way of bringing an end to it, mm. in my view. And I'm not clever enough to know how on earth we do that but fundamentally we've got ourselves in a place where God didn't want us to be mm. I had quite a dramatic thing happen dramatic, that's probably the wrong word but um, myself and Deb were listening to a guy that works for ECM and he's in charge, so ECM is the organisation that uh, Dave Allen and Mike mm. and David are involved with the uh, European Christian Mission and he was talking about the uh, relief efforts and all the work they're doing in Ukraine. And um, he said something re that really moved me. And I've actually had a, a, a tattoo since to sort of signify that moment because it really, really moved me. But he said at the time that there were people going in and uh, delivering food and doing stuff, you know, while there's shelling happening and things going on. And he said, these people are being peacemakers. Mm -hmm. And it, for the first time, it clicked in my head that when Jesus says in the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, it's people who make peace. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd never put that together in my head, that there are people that actually physically, practically make peace, like being in a situation. And it just really moved me, and I thought, do you know what, that's, that's remarkable. So, yeah, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons or children of children children of God. And mm. it's just... Yeah, it just really struck me in that moment that that's what love looks like in that situation. It's people who are actively trying to make peace in a situation where there seems like there really isn't any. Welsh tea cakes. Have you seen that in the news this week? I have not, no. Google that, Welsh tea cakes. I will do. It's about making peace. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> I will look it up. <laughs> Okay, should we go for one more and then finish? Is that okay? Because we're not going to get through all of them. Um, let me just... Okay, how, do you, how would you know if God is calling you to a deeper calling of serving 
your enemies when they're, they're doing wrong. So how, would, how do you, I guess that's, how do you know if God's calling you into that? And I suppose, how do you know whether God's calling you into almost anything really? How do you sense that? Uh, God is always persistent. So if we, we think God is asking us to do something, it will hit us in different ways, in different times. So scripture, a thought, a word mm. from somebody. I think if God is speaking to us, there will be people we trust who love God who will say, That's, that feels right. Mm. I think if God is speaking to us, uh, it, it just doesn't go away. I wouldn't rush into that, so mm. I would prayerfully test it and wait for... I, I, I think God will definitely be asking us to try to let go of anger and hurt. Mm. So if God is asking us to go deeper into forgiving others, then absolutely. Mm. I think God will always be asking us to try and make peace with people. Mm. Or, and, and I think, therefore, like you're talking about, we'll be, if, if that's what we, th- we think by being going deeper into it, then I think that's probably likely. I think when it comes to blessing and doing good for a person who mm. is difficult, we just need to make sure that, that we are safe, mm. spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Mm. And I wouldn't encourage someone to go further into something that could damage them mm. mentally, physically, spiritually. That's really helpful. 